Joshua and looking at a faithful God in a fallen world. And hopefully we have experienced that personally this week, that our God is faithful even in the face of what seem to be difficult, overwhelming obstacles and hard times. I'm going to read through this chapter aloud to us. It is 15 verses and we're going to dive in. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the water of Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At the time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gebeah Harloth. There is no way that was pronounced correctly, but I'm going to ask you to go with me. And that, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of Israel who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children, whom He raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt for you, from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the providence of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Verse 13. This is good. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I'm going to... Spoiler. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? We, as those who live in Texas, would say, Are you for us or are you against us? And the commander of the army of the Lord, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, 
What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I would never have guessed that in my first year and a half of uh, being the teaching pastor here at Grace Bible Church, I would have preached two sermons on prostitution and two sermons on circumcision. But here we are. So uh, if you're here and you are unfamiliar, maybe a child, fifth, sixth grader, uh, with what circumcision is, I trust your parents to raise you to the Lord. And as you drive home today, feel free to ask them conversations and then go eat some tortilla chips and salsa. But when we get into this passage, we see there are numerous points for us to consider. So if you're a note taker and you need things to line up and you need things to alliterate, maybe that's you, it may not be. I'm going to give you four principles that we see from this text. But I don't want us to miss what God says to us simply because we can write down principles. The first thing that we see is that the people are consecrated. Write those two words down. People consecrated. Write that in your phone, however you like to keep up with things. And if you're like, Chad, I don't keep up with what you say. That's between you and Jesus. So we, we continue. The second thing that we see is the promise is confirmed. People are consecrated. The promise is confirmed. We see that the provision is changed. And we see God's purpose is conveyed. One more time for those in the back. People are consecrated. The promise is confirmed. The provision is changed and the purpose is conveyed. We see that as we walk through this text. I think that the most important thing that the... Jewish men would have asked when they were given this new instruction from Joshua was what any of us full-grown men would ask if this was God's direction for us. Why are we doing that again? Can you explain to me why this needs to take place? Verses 4 and 5 answer that why as to the consecration of the people of Israel and the men of the land. Verse 4 and 5. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, everyone who left Egypt had followed this ritual, this consecrating ritual for the Jewish people, Yet those who were born in the wilderness had never done this. I was a history teacher and uh, really the goal was to be a lawyer. That shifted in college uh, as God provided opportunities for me to preach and teach. And I started to think through what it would mean for me to be a school teacher. And as I wrestled with being a school teacher, I wrestled with that. Uh, because I sensed the Lord calling me to ministry. But I did not want to be a pastor. Uh, some of you may still not want me to be a pastor. But I wasn't sure as to if I wanted to devote my life to this calling that God uh, had placed there. When 
I was wrestling with this. God had given me a student pastor who allowed me to teach a group of 7th grade boys in Sunday school. I also taught various ages, ninth and 10th graders. It was very hard to keep their attention. And I can even remember as I wrestled with God's calling for me, what does it mean if I don't become a pastor? Does that mean that for my life it's okay if I just care for people and give direction and guidance as to what it means to follow Jesus? What if I'm just a good example? What if that's what I'm supposed to do? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I was going to be a history teacher. And, and as a history teacher, one of the number one things that you run into is a lack of care. We are in this unique blend of, uh, of both private school education and, and homeschooling at a place called Foundations Prep here in town. We uh, really enjoy it. It's, my kids go to school two days of the week um, for the price of five days. And... They don't listen to the podcast. It's not a big deal. Uh, and I was walking through Charlie's history work with him the other day. And as we looked at this, I thought, he doesn't care. He doesn't care anything about this history. He doesn't... There is nothing that's going to cause him to care about this history. And that's one of the hurdles that you have as a history teacher. One of the hurdles that comes is that you have to make history something that you feel more than just something that you know. This is written for Jewish hearers, the book of Joshua. And by extension, it is uh, it's written to us so that we would identify with the plight of a people who are no longer wandering in a land where they have no sense of belonging. You'll notice that the writer of the book of Joshua, who is not Joshua, says this about us in verse 6. He uses that word to talk about the people. This is what we're going through. This is what we're walking through. This is what we're dealing with. This is our plight. This is where we are going. This is what we are doing. These were not just words that these people didn't even read for the most part. They would hear them. And they were hearing their story. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus because of who God is and because of the inclusion we've seen throughout the entirety of this book. Not simply the book of Joshua, but into the New Testament. We see that when we read through this, this is God including us into His story. This us is, in a sense, something that we can participate in. God is showing that these people are consecrated you see some words there throughout the text. Uh, the word Gilgal that you find in verse 9. It's about the place. But whenever you read through names of places in the Bible, they always have another meaning. And if you were to read through this, it's talking about God's removal. You, you, you look and you see in the text, our primary text for the day, that God has removed the reproach of Israel from these people. They are no longer embarrassed because they are wanderers. They are no longer people who, are, who have no sense of belonging. Gilgal means removed, but the literal breakdown of this is 
rolled away. The reason that God says to the nation of Israel, every time that you go to Gilgal, I want you to remember what took place there was me reminding you that I have rolled away all reproach, all of the things that would make you think that you did not have a place. I've given you one. The, it actually reads like it's a verb that God Gilgaled this place. That God removed the reproach of Israel. We see that uh, when in regard to circumcision throughout the, uh, the Old Testament. There's this running theme of the story of God because circumcision tells the story of leaving slavery and death and finding freedom and life. It starts in the book of Genesis very early on of God removing the limitations of death and giving life in its place. So we are familiar with Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you, right arm. Abraham... When the Lord fulfilled His promise to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham was circumcised. What does that mean? He and his wife had no life in them because they were old. Super old. TLC special old and were not supposed to be able to have children. Yet God gave life to them. The son Isaac. They crossed over to the new life that was Isaac. We also see that with the Israelites, the people have left slavery that bound them and they have now received God's promise. They were bound by all that Egypt was, but that no longer binds them. So whenever we talk about circumcision in the Old Testament, we have to consider, well, what does the New Testament say about that? Because we, as New Testament Christians, as those who follow after Jesus, circumcision is a sign. Yes, circumcision is not the shift. Spiritual things that we do, like what it means to belong to a faith family like this, is a sign that you follow Jesus. It is not the shift that actually displays that you follow Jesus. When we baptize symbolically, it is a sign that we follow Jesus. It is not the full display of the shift to following Jesus. Circumcision is a sign. It's not the shift. Those who roam were circumcised. That's the unique thing about looking at this book alongside of the book of Exodus. When you look at Exodus, you see the nation of Israel as they have left Egypt to go find their promised land. And all of these people were, all of the men were circumcised. And in the midst of that circumcision, they were fickle and they fought God the entirety of the way. They had the sign. The shift wasn't there. How many of us have marker after marker of spiritual signs? But the shift is not there. I share with our congregation regularly, if you're a guest, I'm a recovering Baptist. Uh, we were Southern Baptist. I was part of what was called the RAs. Um, RA stood for Royal Ambassador. As a Royal Ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. Uh, being a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ for us meant that uh, once a month on Sunday night services... It, by the way, if you're one of those people who needs Sunday night services, there are great churches in town who offer those. The, we would wear our jeans... And we would wear our denim vest. 
because dueling denim was how we worked it in the late 80s. And they gave you patches on the back of your, ja of your vest. Patches that were signs of things that you had accomplished. There was a patch for making a, um, a car out of wood. I had that patch. I really let my leader make the car. There was a patch for learning to make fire. Uh, the only, I had multiple patches. The only patch that I really had the shift of being able to do in my own power was the s'mores patch. The, the rest of those patches did not display at all what was actually happening. Now, I could do those things if someone stood beside me, but being able to make sure those things took place, the shift wasn't there. The sign of circumcision does not mean that the shift is there. Paul says this. You're probably like, Ted, I disagree with you. That's okay. Go with Paul. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, he says this. I, I want you to, to the church at Corinth. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were also under the cloud and they all passed through the Red Sea. This sounds good. Bible. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That, that sounds wonderful. And all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and all drank with the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So you've got this crew of people that is being led by Moses, though they are fickle, arguing, and complaining, yet God provides for them. All of the signs are there, but there is no shift. Nevertheless, that's a bad word. With most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. It's not just there. When the Pharisees came to John the Baptist, you've heard of him, JTB. When they came to John the Baptist in Matthew to be baptized, the religious leaders who had all of the signs of spiritual rightness, he tells them to get out because of their lack of repentance. Matthew 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized... He said to them, you brood of vipers. That's not a great greeting. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. That's the water, the very water that God parted. And John the Baptist could very well be referencing the stones that were there to remember that the sign being present does not mean the shift has taken place. I don't know if you've looked around Lake Jackson and the surrounding areas, but we have buildings like this that are filled with people regularly on Sundays. As long as they're not a fishing trip or a hunting trip. We have buildings like this that can tell you and more than likely keep track very well of what their role is, of what their attendance is. And we have people who don't go to those buildings who would say that they were followers of Jesus. But the shift isn't there. The shift matters. 
Because anyone can say they're anything. But God shifts our hearts. Paul tells us that the circumcision is a matter of the heart. And we see the hearts of the Jewish people in this story from John the Baptist and this story from Paul. They weren't quite right. Paul, Paul would eventually say to us in the book of Romans, which was written to the church at Rome, but we trust that it's the word of God, inerrant, inspired, it's spoken to us. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. No one is part of God's family just because of outward expression. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. John Piper, theologian, who, a pastor who I love... The new covenant is God's pledge to forgive the sins of his people and to put his laws within us and to write them on our hearts and to be our God and to make us his people. The shift that we would look to what God has done and we would say, yes, this is a sign of how God has transformed me. But when we line our lives up with that, we would see that those lives are submitted and committed to the God who has changed. Committed to the God who said, there are signs, but is there a shift? We see that the people were consecrated. We also see in verse uh, 6 that the, the promise was confirmed. All right, did God change his mind? Did he change his rules? Did he change how he worked? Go with me verse 6. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war, who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us. What? Two things happen in verse 6. God reminds us of the sign and the shift, but He also reminds us that when you look at these people, He has already made a promise to them. I will get you to the promised land. Yet their decisions had forfeited their place in that promise. And God, as the oath keeper, God is the promise maker. As the ruler and reigner of all of creation has full right to say, yes, I'm going to fulfill my end of this, but that does not mean that you get to participate in that fulfillment. Where are we as a people when we consider that God's promises for us somehow in this divine paradox of God's sovereignty and His providence and my free will as a free agent. I am not a robot. That those two things uh, work uniquely within and underneath the umbrella of who God is. And that our decisions affect things. The people of Israel who wandered with Moses in the wilderness. Had every sign that they were one of God's people. But were not near him. Are our hearts near Him? We also see in verses 10 through 12 that the provision changed. When they get to the land, you've got this people who were uncircumcised, yet they were fully faithful. 
And God is going to call them to this. And His provision for them, it, it changes. Ten. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land. They ate of the produce of the land unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. As God led the nation of Israel through the wilderness, His provision for them was manna. We talked about that just for a smidge last week. That He cared for them by daily providing this miraculous manna from heaven. Yet here, His provision is no longer the miraculous. It's in the mundane of what's there already. Now God's provision and His ability to provide has not changed. The way that He does so is. How often do we ask and beg God to do miraculous things, yet overlook how He has worked just as miraculously in the mundane, day in and day out? How often do we miss that His provision for us is in the, our ability to go through a drive through His provision for us is there when we make a meal in our kitchens. Or when we are invited to a friend's home. How often do we miss that God's provision is incredibly faithful in all of these areas of life. While we beg Him to do things that are that would look like magic taking place in the sky when in actuality the ever-present God of the Bible has provided for us in so many ways. Do we miss that? We also see something else in that passage, in this portion of the text. If you'll remember, they have... This is the end of their wandering. They've crossed over the Jordan... And after they have crossed over the Jordan into this land, that is them saying, this is our land. This land belongs to us. This land is the land that God has provided and promised to us for years upon years. We are the people who get to be part of His promise. And as they do that, they sit there and they take the Passover as if it's their land. Because God has said it is. Yet... What is still there? The Canaanites are still there. There is still a battle they have to fight, yet they are eating as if the battle has been won. Does this obvious truth from this text say anything about the way that we view things in our lives. 
Because in Jesus, we say that we believe that the battle has been won. Yet we do not partake of this life as if we are victorious. The victory is theirs and they have not even fought yet. You think they're not even really fighters. They're not fighters in the least bit. I went hunting last week. If you are familiar with me, you know that my hunting up to that point was limited to ducks and a Nintendo. One of our members called me and said, Hey, I'm going on a duck hunt. Not a duck hunt, a dove hunt. See, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm going to hunt dove. I said, okay, that's cool. Do you want to go with me? Well, my first response was, I don't know if I'm into that. But I said yes. So he then lets me know that I needed to get a migratory bird license. I said, come again. I went to academy to pick up said license. I paid for it. I go to another line because they like to make things difficult. And when I get to the other line, she asked me, Last year, how many ducks, dove, or geese did you bag? I said, chicken, spicy, add pepper, pepper jack, waffle fries, Coke Zero, because I'm on a diet. I had to buy a hunting shirt. It was camouflage. It's unique, the thing about camouflage. Every time I see people wearing it, I think I'm not supposed to see them. They dropped us off uh, in the woods. And across the way, there were these other hunters. And I thought, I need them. How powerful are their guns? Could they sh shoot across? Now, what I did find out about this hunting trip, that it was also a fundraiser, which meant that we didn't... Well, everyone kept showing up and scaring the birds away. There were, I saw one bird the whole day and at that time I was watching the Texas OU game on Danny's phone. It flew exactly where I would have been standing. It could have taken me away if it were strong enough. Now, we went to lunch and, because the, the fundraiser offers lunch and they had brisket and I hunted brisket. And they had some type of Cajun rice and I hunted that. And I really hunted that banana pudding. I hunted lots. But I was not a hunter, yet there I was with a gun. Somebody gave me a gun. The nation of Israel is in this place where they are not warriors, yet there is a war to be fought. And they are so confident and bold because of who they believe in and His faithfulness that they eat, the land, eat on the land of people who have not been removed. This is like you staking claim at someone else's house while they're still there. Are we bold in the way that we live? Not because we are powerful warriors, but because our God is. He actually shows us how powerful He is. He changes their provision. We also see this in verses 13 to 15. One of my favorite texts in the entirety of the Bible. The purpose is conveyed. When we think about 
powerful warriors through history, military generals and leaders. There are numerous, too many to list off. But some that come to mind are Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Hannibal, not Lecter, the other one, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Patton. Joshua is considered by many to be this great general, but he has a commander who's even greater. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua, the military leader of Israel, wants to have a conversation with him. And this conversation, are you with us or are you against us? We wonder that about God a lot. Diagnosis. God, do you really love me? Bad news about our job. Do you re- are you not on my side anymore? Are you for us? Or are you against us? We've built worlds where we're the center. Are you for me, God? Do you care for me? If you were to look at a globe, especially from years ago, it was off scale. If you were to look at North America, it is 9.5 million square miles, roughly. Africa is 11.7 million square miles, roughly. Yet if you were to look at a globe built in the United States, you would notice that North America took up half of the globe. The scale was off. Because we have a very unique perception of ourselves. When we begin to think about whose side this God happens to be on, many times we are like that. The America that made globes where their continent was bigger than it actually is. The college football program that finds themselves to be more important than they actually are in regard to history. We see ourselves as bigger than we really are. Are you for us or are you against us? And God, the commander of the army of the Lord, says no. It is much more important for us to know who God is than to know what He is going to do. Our hearts can easily miss our God... Because we're waiting for more guidance. How often do we forget that when God said for God, when John says for God so loved the world, that we're not standing in the center of it. Phil Riken, Presbyterian. It is important to understand that when it comes to taking sides, God thinks primarily in spiritual terms. Not military or political terms. 
No nation in the world, including the United States of America, can claim God's unqualified blessing. God is for His people, but His people are scattered among all the nations of the world, united by faith in Christ. As we've seen through Joshua, even as they are on their way to war, God's collecting random people. And in this moment, Joshua is forced to take seriously that he and his army are not at the center of the universe. And it would be very helpful for each and every one of us to do the same. Individually, as followers of Jesus in 2018, we would best to think through that just because we think something does not mean that that thing is true. And that God is for God. God is on the side of God, declaring the works of God, working miraculously as God. And as He calls people to Himself, they are called from every place. They are called, and God shows Himself to the world as He says to us, He is on the side of life. We believe that. The Bible teaches that God is not a God of death. But God is also on the side of the broken and the oppressed. And it is the position of the church not to line themselves up and say God are you with us and to try to make everyone believe that he is exactly what we say that he is but for us to say this is who our God is and we believe that he's at work that God cares for the poor he cares for the broken that God cares for the ends of the earth now we are not the center of the universe Moses meets with God at this this commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua meets, or rather Moses meets with this same God at the fiery furnace. How do we know that? Because he fell down. Joshua meets with this mighty warrior. And how do we know that this is God displaying himself? Because he falls down. Take your sandals off your feet. The place where you're standing is holy. God has claimed Joshua for his purposes. Joshua doesn't get to claim God like he's in a schoolyard pickle. God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to use you to do it. So see me for who I am. Holy is a big Bible word. It's one of the words that you see throughout the Scriptures. It's this concept of God's sacred, set-apartness. It's the word that the circumcision points to. It's what communion celebrates. It's from a world where bread is a big deal. And bread uh, was such a big deal that in their world, very much like in parts of Asia now, rice is center of their diet. Is the center of the diet. Bread was that. So you would have a bread maker who would cut into the bread that he had prepared. And some of it would be set apart. It would be holy. And this set apart bread was for the religious leaders. And here, this word eventually is used to talk about the God that we see in Scripture. He is set apart. He is set apart. He is set apart from us, but he is not separate from us. And you notice as Joshua is invited into the holy presence of the Lord to worship him, to meet with him, to know him, to experience him in full. 
When's the last time that we fell down and we worshipped? When is the last time that our posture changed because of worship? Now, before you think that I'm saying that you need to posture yourselves differently in this space on a Sunday morning, hear me. I don't care what you do physically with your worship. I prefer for you not to look bored. I would encourage you not to look bored. But if we're moving beyond that to the God that you say that you know in Jesus, I would ask this question. If this is not a place where your hands go up, if this is not a place where you kneel down, if this is not a place where your experience with God shifts the way that you worship, does that happen at your house? Well, I don't really have time at my house. Does it, does it happen in your car? I don't need your posture to shift because it's 10.30 on Sunday mornings. But I would encourage those of us who say that we follow after Jesus to have moments where it looks like the God that we've encountered is not common. That He's sacred. That He shifts our hearts. The posture of our hearts. But I don't really get excited about things. Tennessee has not won a football game since 1937. It had become my common practice to follow games on my phone because I knew we would lose. The common Saturday for me as a fan of the University of Tennessee was to remember the days of Peyton Manning. To check the score to see how bad someone happened to be beating us. Tennessee had not beaten a ranked team in so long. They had not beaten a team from the SEC West in even longer. And my posture had begun to be this common attitude of this isn't special. But my phone begins to explode with text messages yesterday. Are you watching this? I literally said watching what? We're beating a ranked team. What's a ranked team? I rushed home. Now I've watched games at my house where I did other things, washed dishes, put up laundry because it had become common, but yesterday it was not that. How common is your God to you? Because our worship and our response to Him says... It says something about the shift. It doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be this. But it doesn't need to look as if we're just being bored.